Are you ready to move your career forward? Make your comeback with Purdue Global and get college credit for your work, school, life, or military experiences. With these credits, you may have already completed up to 75% of your undergraduate degree. You've worked hard to get where you are. It's time to get the recognition you deserve and earn a degree you'll be proud of, one that employers will trust and respect. When you take the next step in your life and career, make it count with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com. Close to the Chest with Kristen and Christine is brought to you by iHeartRadio. My name is Kristen Nobles, and today is November 6th. This week's episode is about the FDA, all of the lawsuits and advocacy that's currently happening, and really something that's near and dear to my heart. When I first found out that my breast implants were the cause of over 20 years of illness, I was angry, confused, and I felt very helpless. I wanted to understand how this issue even came to be. How was it that implants were on the market and everybody was telling us they were safe? How was it that doctors weren't recognizing BII as an actual disease? And how were women like me being sent home and told that this was all in our heads and shamed for not feeling well? And then I started to understand what was happening. I started to really look through the other advocates in the community at the parties that are necessary to educate and empower because if they know more, they can do more. And through understanding the role the FDA has, how to work with them to report adverse events and how to file complaints against doctors who were actually gaslighting us and not treating us, empowered me and so many people in the community to start to fight back, to provide the data so people recognized us and heard us. And lastly, getting an attorney to represent us and really explore How to hold the manufacturers accountable was the most empowering moment of my life. So to all the women in the community out there, the key to our success is attacking the problem, not the people, and knowing that through lobbying for full disclosure, through telling the FDA that these implants are hurting us, and through getting the word out to the doctors, they will know better and do better. But most importantly, knowing that together we're not alone and we never give up. Christine, there's a long history of women fighting to raise awareness about implant issues and lobbying for breast implant safety and women's health. Today, we're talking to some brave advocates who spent over 40 years fighting to raise awareness about the risks associated with breast implants. These advocates have been fighting to get full disclosure, peer-reviewed studies, 
and breast implant illness recognized as a disease. Can you believe the first breast reconstruction on a woman's chest was done back in 1895? I'm not sure what was in them because the first silicone breast implants weren't invented until the 1960s. But since then, millions of women have had implants. The first successful class action lawsuit against them was one in the late 1990s. But that hasn't stopped the manufacturers from profiting. Right. I remember that case. And I was truly one of those women who assumed that if these were back on the market, that they had to be safe. When I learned that they were not revolutionized and now being recalled, I was petrified. I was mad and determined. Like those women, I'm a fighter. And this is now our fight. I spent the last three years begging insurance companies and doctors to help me, researching manufacturers and waiting for the FDA to do something. And like other advocates, all well bone deep in the effort of trying to get my health back, this is no joke. I am literally breaking my back doing this. But together, I know we are changing the world. Mm. You still have another six to eight weeks until those vertebrae heal, huh? Yep. Well, I get to meet many of these women, and I see you are in great company. Our first guest today is Maria Gamitro, and she is a survivor and a leader on the front lines and has dedicated her life to this. Absolutely. Maria is a friend, a former teacher, and someone I learned from daily. Her organization is lobbying for change, and she is also part of a company that I love, Track My Solutions. They are helping to ensure medical device safety, and she's been key in teaching doctors, manufacturers, and regulators how to treat us. I look forward to hearing how she's been able to be the change we need to see, all while surviving herself. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways, shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness. Kick back and spread some positivity into the world. From smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports, on stages, and at the box office, women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to Women Take the Mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs, and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. I'm a 
So today, welcome everyone to Close to the Chest with Christine and Kristen. I am so excited to invite Maria Gumetro. And I wanted to recognize her today because she is not only a medical device safety advocate and a thriver who's been through breast implant illness, she's also the president and co-founder of Breast Implant Safety Alliance and director of community outreach and patient advocacy for Track My Solutions. So Maria, thank you first and foremost for joining us. I know you're very busy doing a lot of work. And I wanted to start today by asking how you got involved in advocacy, if you don't mind. Yes. In 2014, I decided to think about getting breast implants to correct some asymmetry. The plastic surgeon recommended breast implants. And, you know, my husband and I, we did our research, or so we thought. He said that, you know, all those issues from the 90s, they fixed all that. And these were the latest and greatest FDA approved. So, you know, thinking that they put these into breast cancer survivors, I, I thought this was, a, you know, a safe device. I had them placed into my body. They looked great. But then in, you know, the months that followed, I started to have, you know, symptoms, you know, mystery illness. It just continued on, continued on. My health started to decline. And at no point was it ever mentioned to me that it could possibly be my breast implants. Fast forward a few years, and I was a teacher at the time. I was seeing so many medical professionals and trying so many new protocols to, you know, deal with these new, newly developed autoimmune issues, and I wasn't getting better, so I had to stop working, I had to stop teaching. And in following these different protocols for, you know, fibromyalgia and autoimmune issues, I came upon breast implant illness. And as soon as I read what other women were experiencing, it clicked for me because none of this started until after my implants were placed. My medical records, you know, told the story. And even going back to my original plastic surgeon and talking to him about it, he threw his hands up and he said, the FDA says there's no connection. And my husband and I are there and we thought, well, that's interesting because in the manufacturer's paperwork, these issues are actually mentioned. So now what? Removed the implants and started to regain my health and thought this is an injustice. And, you know, people need to know about this. I spoke at the FDA hearing um, in Washington, the safety of uh, breast implants, and there I met so many other advocates that were experiencing exactly what I was experiencing. And at that moment, I really wanted to become more involved in creating change. And from there, you know, we founded Breast Implant Safety Alliance. Since then, I've been involved in several collaboratives, the Breast Implant Collaborative Community, the National Center for Health Research, Breast Implant Working Group, part of USA Patient Network, Patient Safety Action Network, I'm part of Patients Rising, Recently, Breast Implant Safety Alliance, we usually call it BISA or BISA Nonprofit for short, we joined the Medical Device Innovation Consortium and they're starting some active surveillance on breast implants. We're also part of the FDA's patient caregiver connection. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of folks that do such a great job raising awareness on social media, which is so needed, but there's a space where we need to change legislation, you know, really take the steps to create the change that's needed, like the you know, the new labeling um, for breast implants, the black box warning and getting the informed consent out there. If you can tell our listeners, what is your definition of uh, breast implant illness? It's interesting. It's the FDA refers to it as systemic symptoms. It seems to be a diagnosis of exclusion. So if it's not all these other things, it might be breast implant illness. It impacts people differently. I was part of a Delphi study that Dr. Andrea Pusick was working on. And she was part of the American Society of Plastic Surgery, Plastic Surgery Foundation at the time. But, you know, we were basically narrowing it down to, you know, 10 of the top 
symptoms. And I can't exactly remember what those exact 10 were, but basically it was, you know, uh, fatigue, weight fluctuations, um, rashes, pain, you know, new development of autoimmune um, issues, hair loss. Me personally, I noticed I had GI issues that were new. I had rashes that developed and they were on my face, my neck, you know, my arms and my chest. I went to my doctor and I you know, she told me to scrub harder. And I'm thinking, I, I exfoliate. This doesn't make any sense. I had bladder issues. They gave me medication for that. I had constipation issues. I noticed that when I ate healthy food, normally when you eat healthy food, you feel good. I noticed that I was, you know, eating these, you know, healthy meals and I didn't feel any different whether I ate something good or bad. It was this, it started to be this constant feeling of a hangover without the joys of, you know, drinking the night before. And I actually, you know, went to see a psychiatrist because I thought, okay, there's, there's something wrong. In the happiest stage of my life, I'm newly remarried, love of my life, just, you know, everything was absolutely lovely, but why did I not feel great? So I thought it must be something else I can't control. They tried different, you know, medications. They kept having to, to up them. And I was seeing a therapist at the same time. After seeing her for about a year, she looked at me and she said, you are doing everything that I'm asking you to do. I do not think you're depressed. I don't know if I should say this, but I think you need to look further into your health. And I really appreciated that coming from her because no other medical professional had spent that type of time with me um, to really understand what was going on in my life. One of the functional medicine doctors I was seeing basically said, you know, you've got to put your body in the right conditions to heal and you're not going to heal with, you know, your body fighting breast implants and recommended I get them removed. While you go and find out, like you said, everything else was perfect. I really talk a lot about the fact that we have to embrace what they didn't know to heal. What I wanted to know, and you've really been active in helping all of us understand and change, how did the FDA, because that's who we learned really regulates this, right? How did they let this happen? So do you mind sharing a bit with the listeners in terms of what the process is to regulate a medical device, specifically these implants? Absolutely. There, there's a lot, a lot to cover here. But so to gain approval, the manufacturers must present evidence that the device is reasonably safe and effective for a particular use. And there's uh, two ways to do this. There's pre-market and there's post-market. Post-market is also referred to as the 510K pathway. So pre-market is similar to the way drugs are approved, which include, you know, human clinical trials. But this process is not used very much for medical devices. Most of them go through post-market, which we know has been abused. The safety studies are much less vigorous. The device is based on a previous similar device that was approved. It is actually a modification of a device that the manufacturers say is similar, but in reality, may not really be similar. And an example of this would be the like robotic surgery device. They said it was similar to a scalpel for approval. So I don't know how a, you know, robotic surgery device is, you know, all that similar to a scalpel. Um, back in the 70s, <laughs> devices were grandfathered in. An example is mesh and later used as a predicate, which means it never goes through human trial. So they did use it on animals to study, but animals can't give feedback the way that you know, humans can. And the 510K process, uh, it's not adequate. If the predicate has been recalled, so if that device was recalled, it doesn't matter. They can still use it. As long as the device has already been cleared, it's okay. 
Let me say that again. If a past device was used to help approve a new device, it doesn't matter if the old device was recalled for safety. So new does not equate to safe. One of the things you and I've also talked about is that all of these women have gone through something emotionally, financially, physically horrible. And their first reaction is, I want to tell my friends. I want to share my story. I want to prevent this from happening to someone else. But we all came together and had to accept that the solution we bought into was not real. And that also there was a lot of fake facts out there. Do you mind explaining a bit about the recall when it happened and what that's kind of opened up in terms of these things you're lobbying for is potential solutions? So the Allergan textured biocell um, was a voluntary recall. The FDA did not recall those. The company did a voluntary recall. And most companies do a market withdrawal um, rather than an FDA recall. They just quietly take it off like it never existed. Allergan did not track or, you know, basically believe patients. So when that recall happened, there was no way to alert any of these patients. The manufacturers did reach out to some patients. Because there was no digital alerting system in place, doctors really didn't have a way to, you know, quickly go through and check to see, you know, which of their patients had this Allergan, you know, biocell um, textured implant. A lot of the women that I come in contact with, it's been so long, they have, you know, they don't remember if they were given any implant ID cards. Um, they don't, they don't have them anymore. They lost them. They, they move, you know, their doctor no longer practices. You only have to keep these records so long, seven to 10 years, and they can get rid of them. So these patients, they were not alerted of this recall. In fact, Allergan was trying to, you know, find people on social media to try to alert them. Can you just describe what full disclosure is a call to action really means in terms of patient rights? Well, we need, um, you know, proper informed consent. There needs to be transparency, exactly what these implants cause. And when you talk about the, the recall, we haven't really discussed why those allergen textured implants are recalled. They're causing cancer, B-I-A-A-L-C-L. And a lot of surgeons like to say that it's rare. But the problem is, you know, they haven't been testing for it. They haven't been following it. So as time goes on, the incidence is going up and it's not as rare as they originally thought. And if they have not been tracking any of these patients, how do we know how rare it actually is? I don't know any woman that wants to, you know, walk around with implants in their body that can possibly cause cancer, especially when they've already survived breast cancer, had a mastectomy, had, you know, these implants put in just to get cancer again. Well, a lot of people don't understand, Maria, that's so important that BIALCL is a form of blood cancer. So when you're going into your breast surgeon and complaining that you're having masses and pain and fluid and things on a mammogram, et cetera, the diagnostic process does not pick up BIALCL through the normal breast diagnostic current process. And the breakdown in the healthcare, which is really important to understand, is that a plastic surgeon is allowed to touch the implant. A breast surgeon is allowed to touch the tissue. And what you brought up earlier is unless you have a functional medicine doctor translating what all these people say, you end up getting bollocked back and forth. And so I think full disclosure on the risk that if someone told me up front, not only that this could cause cancer, but that they are not a lifetime device, that they may have to be replaced and there's more economic costs. Because the other thing is that these are not cheap this is an expensive product to maintain. If your car is going to cost you 
X amount of dollars to maintain it, you get a warranty. These don't have a warranty, do they? <laughs> right. 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 And and when you think about transparency, you know, in October of 2020, the FDA did listen. Right. They put out a recommendation for the black box warning for the new labeling. You know, using the unique device identifier, the UDI, for tracking purposes. They you talk about this informed consent checklist. That's great. The FDA can recommend that. They cannot mandate any surgeon to use it. So we've got advocates that we work with that are working state by state by state to pass an informed consent bill to hold um, plastic surgeons accountable just to make what the FDA has recommended mandatory. Because right now, even though the FDA recommends it, it's not mandatory. You've also been very vocal in that the solution comes from advocating for change, but also maintaining it's our body, our rights, but what we want is real information. And so on that note, one of the questions I have for you on the legislative side is that the Medical Device Guardians Act has been something that we met Sybil Goldrich. I've talked to you in private about it. It's, can you just tell the listeners what that is and what it means for consumers if it gets passed? And I want to jump back for a second. When you talk about the state legislation, uh, the, the pioneer in the informed consent bill has been um, advocate Robin Tout and, you know, the Arizona advocates that were able to, you know, push that over the finish line. I, you know, I mean, they've done an incredible job. And the Medical Device Safety Act and the Medical Device Guardians Act, I kind of talk about them together a bit. I started working on the Medical Device Safety Act when I met the um, medical device problems um, advocates that was part of women that suffered from the Assure device. So what you learn with a class three medical device, the manufacturers are protected. Only the investors have a, a right to litigation. And a class three medical device is something that um, sustains or supports life or is implanted and, you know, could potentially cause an unreasonable risk of illness or injury. And examples of these devices would be pacemakers and uh, breast implants and, you know, like the, uh, the Assure device. So there is no protection for the patient for a class three medical device. So the Medical Device Safety Act would amend the Food and Drug, Food, Drug and Cosmetic Act to restore patient rights, hold manufacturers accountable and require safer medical devices. Now, we don't want to stifle innovation. Innovation is important. But there is no accountability. How can we be sure that devices are safe if there's no accountability whatsoever? So we bear all the risk as the right. patients is what I'm hearing you say. Right. And, and people don't know, they're not aware of this. When you say that, I think for most people, this becomes unbelievable that in the modern day, as my friends have said, that something can be sold to us that's not properly researched, that if it goes bad, we have no recourse. And so... This law would not only, you know, change things and protect us, but you've also come up with a solution. Say this law is enacted, you know, that puts a lot of companies in reactive mode. And I think as patients, do you mind sharing a little bit about Track My Solutions and this concept of, like you said, making yourself count, you know, registering yourself when you get a medical device, you know, share a bit with the listeners what that means as a solution. Because if you get the legislation, you need the resources to implement the, the care. Right, right. And that... So along with the Medical Device Safety Act is the Medical Device Guardians Act. And what that is, is to mandate that medical professionals have to report adverse events to the FDA. Right now, a doctor does not have to report, right? Only 
manufacturers are mandated to do so, but again, that can be subjected. You know, again, how can we make informed decisions if we don't have accurate data? So that's why we need to pass the Medical Device Guardians Act. I met Track My Solutions when I was working with the gals in DC on these two bills. And I really liked their mission was save patients' lives through technology. Jeremy Elias, who's the founder and CEO, he, you know, his best friend's grandfather had a pacemaker with a faulty uh, battery. Well, they didn't know it had been recalled. And, you know, unfortunately he had passed away and Jeremy thought, well, why didn't we know? There's no digital alerting system in place. So Jeremy looked further in that and, and, you know, knew that this was a problem and he came up with the solution. Part of what we do, a patient can input their device information and if there's ever a recall, we will notify them immediately as soon as it happens. What we want to see happen is that the patient not have to go through this process of inputting their information and tracking it down because it can be very hard to track down your information. You know, we also work with, um, you know, hospital systems and surgery centers and doctors to create this digital format, when there is a recall, that doctor can just pull up everyone that has this device and contact them immediately so that they can take whatever steps are necessary to move forward. So hospitals should know who has these recall devices you know, in their body. You should really be you know, contacted by a med- your medical professional. Most people hear about recalls through a, you know, an ad for a lawsuit on the TV or they're hearing about it on social media. So with what we're going through and what you proposed as an innovative way to approach this in real-time data management, if we can have the doctors who have the data input it in real time, maintain that confidence and want to know. And I do think that there's some amazing doctors out there that we've spoken to, that you've spoken to, that have a genuine now interest in being part of the solution. And this really reverses the flow of data in the medical system. And what I find interesting now is that a lot of, you know, different types of plastic surgeons are standing up and saying, okay, you know what, we're seeing enough of this. I think it's hit the saturation point where now you've, like you've identified in Arizona, there was this magic moment of, we got this passed, we're getting full disclosure, but now step two is how do we create legislation to mandate that it's implemented? If you currently have an issue with your implants, where do you go to be notified and make yourself count? Do you mind sharing a bit with the listeners what's out there for you? That's a great question. So you can go, you know, search for, you know, the the recalled implants, you know, on the FDA site and they'll give you a list. Unfortunately, it's very, very confusing because Allergan BioCell textured implants went by several different names. At some point they were, you know, like they were McGann. So if you have McGann implants, you're thinking, well, I don't have the Allergan textured BioCell implants. So I'm not worried about this. Well, they've gone by several names, so it is extremely confusing. You can contact Allergan, and they do have a site where you might be able to put in some information, and they might be able to tell you. You can go to trackmysolutions.us, and you know you can use our solution, Track My Implants, put your information there, and you know as you put in your information, you would get an alert if your you know breast implants have been recalled. You know we've got some patient advocates that work with the company, and they will look into that for you. But there's not this. There's not an easy way. It's not very clear. Does that make sense? A thousand percent you pointed out and is so important for many women in terms of the step one of this is being diagnosed in dealing with this issue is that a lot of us contact our plastic surgeon. We reach out to friends. We use Google. And we also, when you said adverse events, many of these companies have changed names. And so what I'm realizing 
through meeting you and through going through this process myself and talking to so many people is that Track My Solutions is going to create the ability for people to be identified, register, and notified, and it's a great next step. Breast implant illness has literally changed your life. I've watched, you know, you are teaching people how to treat us. And as a teacher, as a mother, as a wife, as a woman, you know, what do you want to say to women dealing with breast implant illness? What would you advise them, you know, as they go on their journey is some just things to consider and some tips to turn this into a survival and thriving, you know, like you've done because you've really taken this head on. Thank you. Uh, Well, the number one is you are not alone. And uh, there's a whole network of women that are, you know, have gone through or are going through exactly what you are going through. You know, one of our, you know, kind of our our taglines, um, our hashtags is not our daughters. And, you know, we think about, we say our, you know, um, our grandmothers have suffered, our mothers have suffered, we have suffered, the next generation will not suffer, they will be informed, hashtag not our daughters. I think that we don't want to take any, you know, away anybody's right to do whatever they want to do to their body, but you need to have, you know, a proper informed consent. And we don't want other women to have to go through what we went through and you know, we would like that insurance coverage for the removal when you've got breast implant illness. We would like for medical professionals to, for this to be on their radar. We would like for patients to be informed. And I think that women need to understand if you develop, you know, these symptoms of breast implant illness, you know, I, I chose to put these implants in my body. My husband and I, we, we chose to spend this money on this. And you know, for women that had cancer and mastectomies, they really didn't have, I mean, they, they did have a choice. They could have just gone flat, but they, they, there aren't many choices, you know, for reconstruction. You know, it's all hard on the body. I think we all need to understand that we all made the best decision with the information we had at the time. And there was information that was hidden. You know, the data was hidden and there were people trying to sell the doctors a product and sell you a product. So it was very biased information. So I think, you know, you need to forgive yourself because you, at the time, made the best decision with the information you were given. And also when you're, you know, when you're ready and you fail up to it, we, you know, there's a campaign, um, you know, maybe it's your implants. And, you know, just sharing your story with other women other patients, they can, you know, make those connections because people don't know what they don't know. So sharing your story, it is, you know, trying to raise the idea that maybe, you know, these issues are coming from your breast implants or other medical devices. And um, since the medical community is is not aware, you know, we have to, you know, help each other until that changes. But we need to create change, but the data is needed to create the change. So you need to take those steps to report your symptoms you know, the adverse events to the FDA's uh, MedWatch program, because that's what's driving the changes. If we didn't have all of these patients reporting to the FDA's MedWatch, um, we wouldn't have the black box warning. We wouldn't have um, the changes in the labeling. We wouldn't have those, you know, the discussion of the systemic symptoms that we all refer to as uh, a breast implant illness. So we want to encourage people to take that time, you know, to contact MedWatch and let them know exactly what you've experienced. And if you, you know, do remove your implants and you have gains in your health or changes, good or bad, report that as well. Go back. I implore people to you know, contact their medical professionals 
a lot of women don't go back to their original plastic surgeon. You know, just you write a letter, talk about what you've experienced and the changes in your health. And, you know, as your patient responsibility, send that letter to the medical professionals you work with. They don't know what they don't know. And you need to take the time to tell them. And, you know, in that we can create something better for better consent. Give people the information they need to, to make informed decisions in the future. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employer's respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways, shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. I'm a fighter. Maria is building a community of survivors, one brave warrior at a time, Kristen. She is, Christine, and she's been a source of strength, hope, and inspiration for me and so many other women, doctors, and advocates. I look forward to seeing what February 13th has in store for us this year, as that is the official BII day. I don't know if I would have made it this far without her. And I know together we are not alone. And you are upholding the legacy of our next guest, Sybil Nyden-Goldrich. She was instrumental in helping fight for women's health in the Dow Corning class action lawsuit of the 1990s. Yes, as a cancer survivor and wife of a doctor, she kickstarted this whole movement. With her husband's support, they took this all the way to being the largest settlement of its time. Like four and a half billion dollars, somewhere in that neighborhood? Uh, Yeah, and sadly, the fight didn't end there. The FDA approved silicone implants as safe in late 2006. And just like that, they were back on the market. So despite her fight, they were reintroduced and the impact was identical. Now, new lawsuits are being filed and those same implants have been conclusively shown to cause cancer. And this is a type of blood cancer named BIALCL, 
which was first discussed in medical journals in 1997, but the FDA didn't report the link until 2011. And it wasn't until 2016 that the World Health Organization established a diagnostic and treatment process and set guidelines for this. Why does it take so long for someone to do something about this? I mean, think about all the women who had breast implants in that time and are suffering because of it. They still sell these devices, the breast implants, as a like device to the Dow implants. And Sybil started her fight in the 1980s. She published her story in Ms. Magazine. She bravely showed a picture of how the implants disfigured her breasts in an interview with Connie Chung on national television. I, I do look forward to hearing how she feels about the issue and what advice she has for you all as you lobby for change. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us for Close to the Chest. Our guest today is Sybil Knighton Goldrich, who is a shiro in the breast implant illness world. Sybil is a survivor, an advocate, and someone who's been fighting since the 80s to raise awareness about breast implants and the risk associated with them. Thank you for joining us. Your knowledge as a pioneer is going to not only help us save lives, but we're excited to learn and grow with you today. So I wanted to start the conversation, Sybil, and ask you, first and foremost, what your experience has been with breast implants and how you became an advocate, if you don't mind. Be happy to tell you. Thank you for that lovely introduction. I had breast cancer. I was 43 years old, and I couldn't think of anything that I'd rather do than be reconstructed and move on with my life. The problem was I became, I was reconstructed once, then twice, then three times, then four times, and I realized this is not getting me on with my life. There's nothing wrong with me. My cancer has been taken care of. What could be the problem? And so I started researching. Most doctors said that I was the problem because that my body would not accept the implants. And I thought to myself, oh, I don't think that's the way it's supposed to work. And I don't think that's right. I think that the breast implant is supposed to work for us. It didn't. By some miracle, I found out that, well, actually I did research and then I had a miracle to find out that the FDA had not approved breast implants when I was getting them. And I started to look around and went to medical journals and there was very little in it. And then I went to the package insert that somebody gave me that was included in the box of implants. And that's what started me off because the last sentence in the package insert that I read, it said the possibility of lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, and scleroderma exists. And I went, oh my goodness. Oh, I was freaking out. And then I called the FDA and they said, oh no, we haven't approved breast implants. And I'm saying, are you kidding me? You're selling these to so many women? Made me feel used. It made me feel had. I'd been done in. And I wrote a book about my experiences and no publisher believed me. And so the agent who was handling it said to me, write 1,200 words and I'll see if I can sell it to a magazine. I said, okay. So I wrote 1,200 words and it went into Ms. Magazine. And that was in June of 1988. And once it was in Ms. Magazine, the lid blew off of everything I ever knew because the FDA called me and asked me to come to Washington to speak to the panel that was about to approve breast implants. 
and I'm saying, oh, I better go. They sent me a ticket and I went to Washington and that was the first time I ever testified. And they nodded very patronizingly and I thought to myself, well, nobody's heard me, I know it. I just had a feeling in my gut, but they needed somebody to cover them and say, well, we had a patient here and obviously she couldn't accept the breast implants, it was probably her body, she's had a lot of surgery. But what I did notice is that there was a group of men in the middle row of this auditorium with briefcases and suits. And I'm saying to myself, why would all these men be here? And on the far right of the room were all a lot of press. I'm saying, how come they need so much press for this? And the reason is the men in the middle were the suits from all the manufacturers, suits meaning men in suits. They all sent their people. And I'm saying to myself, Whoa. And at that time, Sid Wolf, who was uh, a physician who was with a uh, Ralph Nader's group of um, consumer advocates, and he got up that day and he testified that there is the possibility of cancer from breast implants. And he pointed to several articles. Uh, my heart dropped down to the ground. I've already done that. I, I didn't want to go back to the cancer routine at all. And so I was shocked and I tried to process it all. And one of the TV people came up to me and asked me if I would go to the hall and answer some questions. And I did. And once people all over the country heard what I had to say, that these products haven't been approved, I don't think they're safe. And we've just heard information that it connects it to cancer. Why would a cancer patient get a cancer-causing product inside of them? If they had told me, there would be no way that I would have done that. The level of strength you had to have at that time to stand up against the doctors. You were married to a physician. You had daughters. You had been through hell. And you still got in that plane and you went to that hearing, and you stood there, and you shared your story. And so first and foremost, to say thank you, because when I watch this and I listen to what you've been through, what one of my greatest questions for you is, where did you find that strength? Well, you know, you have to have strength to get through cancer. And so I found some strength there. But I realize that a basic part of my personality is don't lie to me, don't mess with me. I can handle the truth. I can deal with almost anything if it's straightforward and honest. Then I put the pieces together and figure out how I can work on work with it. And it just it hit my personality button so right in the middle. And I knew I had no other path to go but to fight these people and tell them, you cannot do this. I'm not the only woman who's having this problem. And you cannot keep taking advantage. And that's the end of that. And I was not going to stop until I finished with them. What was your goal? Like, what was the first step for you where you thought you could genuinely make an impact? How did you decide how to take action? The first thing I wanted to do was make sure there was a universal truth if that existed, for every woman to be told that all of these side effects, not don't keep the information inside the box that they open in the operating room. Tell us, show us, give me a booklet that would have said that. 
it took a long time to kind of crank all of this out, but we ultimately got, you know, got that booklet for, from the FDA. One TV station interviewed me, then a newspaper called, then a magazine called, then another TV thing. And I kept going and going and going. Uh, years ago, Connie Chung had a show. And that's when I did the most, what I thought was courageous. My daughters were just horrified at what I did. But I let them have a picture of what I looked like with an implant that was ready to extrude. And I gave it to the Connie Chung show and allowed them to show it. Once women saw exactly what that looked like, two uh, encapsulated implants, one of them pushing through a hole in the center of my breast, that women related to. I wasn't the only woman in America who was having that problem. And my phone started ringing off the hook. My, my daughters were furious with me. But that's the thing. One, you know, I play bridge. <laughs> and there's a, 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 there's a line in bridge that says, one peak is worth two finesses. If you know what's in somebody else's hand, you can play a lot better. So now women knew exactly what was on me and if they had it or anything close to it, they knew they were not alone. What currently do you see these companies doing after the FDA has mandated them to publish articles and announce these risks? Do you feel that we are currently as women getting authentic information from the manufacturers about the risk of implants? Absolutely not. And I'll tell you, what the hook is on a class action that you would go ahead with. And I'm not a lawyer, but I've been around a class action for so long that I, I know a little bit about them. And what's happened is the manufacturers were required to do these post-market studies, and they never did them. They blamed it on the women for not participating in the studies, but that is not true. And you can get enough women to come and testify that I called and they didn't want to hear from me. Uh, I called the FDA and I was put through to four different phone numbers. There is proof that they never seriously approached these post-market studies. And you were entitled to that information when you got this, quote, newly approved implant. That, uh, to me, that's the basis of the whole case. And I, I never asked anybody about that, but we have a lawyer here. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, they're required to give full disclosure. And the fact that they don't and that nobody, you know, the onus is really on the patient. And that's not how it should be. But it is. Of course. The onus is on the patient to find all this stuff out. But if a patient, a woman, does everything in her power, she calls the manufacturer and says, I want to report this because the FDA is collecting this information and you also are required to do post-market studies. So I am reporting this to you. And what you just touched on in, in the case, and I had a meeting on Monday yesterday with my intensivist, and she has the horrible job of helping me navigate all of the effects the disease has had on my body. So I've had a you know bilateral hip replacement. I've had my gallbladder, my appendix removed. I've lost parts of my colon. I've gone deaf in one ear from tumors traveling throughout the body. And I think the most important thing for me and any woman dealing with this is this isn't, quote, textbooked, right? Like there is no textbook. There is no place to go and say, 
if you are diagnosed, here is the protocol. So the second thing I see that is a really important movement by some of the great doctors who, like you said, are brave enough to stand up and say, this is an issue. We have a Hippocratic Oath. We want to help solve this problem is creating a protocol that states, you know, financially what this should cost. So it doesn't become a whole nother exploitative business. And then also what alternatives are available to us as women? Because now you've gone through an explant, you've been disfigured, you no longer look like you think you're going to look. And so what I'm looking forward to is the fact that you really encourage innovation, education, and research to keep happening. You've taken this position with women that we deserve better. We deserve to be able to trust these stakeholders. Just two final questions. You know, as someone who dealt with this for years and you've been out there advocating, et cetera, what advice would you give to a woman who's just read that they have recalled implants? Be prepared for a fight. Be prepared for a fight for your health and be prepared to take it beyond just your health and make sure that the next generation at least is equipped to know that they are also going to have to fight if they go down this road of implants. And at, at the same time as you're fighting that issue, there has to be a movement to recall the approval that the FDA has gotten because they have not done their homework and received all these, these post-market studies, because we know what the post-market studies show, that now we have ALCL and a lot of other things, demand that they recall this approval and um, develop a product that works. You can put a man on the moon or, or Jeff Bezos into space, <laughs> and, you, and, and, and you can't figure out how to figure out a product that will fit in somebody's, some human being's body. Come on. I mean, you know, this is, this is the 21st century. When I think commanding respect is one thing you touch on a lot, is that you went into those rooms, Sybil, and you stood up and you commanded respect in a way that was genuine, authentic, and you were so inclusive. And I think as we continue as women to organize and do exactly what you said, we have tools available to us now. We have attorneys that are passionate about this issue, but most importantly, the emotional side of this disease, I think, has been the most grueling part of it. I think as women, we take all of the internal resources we have to bear children and be fixers and be strong, and we use that to cope. And ultimately, I've noticed for me, my standard of health dropped from wanting to, you know, be bike 25 miles and accomplish great things to can I get out of bed this morning and put on makeup and be articulate and string a sentence together. And I think we work in a world where the second biggest impediment for this has been financing it. And so one of the big movements as part of Close to the Chest, and thank you to iHeart for allowing us to share this story, is that the cost benefit of this disease, the companies that you brought up are being injured the most are ironically insurance companies. I would hate to know what my insurance company has paid to manage my symptoms and secondary diseases versus getting rid of the primary issue, which are these implants. And so I've noticed recently, and Maria Dimitro and yourself and many people have been lobbying to get us an insurance code. 
And so to have breast implant illness recognized has been a major milestone. But now as we lay down the foundations for treatment, to get insurance companies to get behind this issue, do you have any advice to us as victims and as advocates on how we can go out there and help get an insurance code and get a protocol in place so we can actually get this covered? Because I think the manufacturers are taking advantage of the fact that, like you said, we financially end up upside down. We can't afford the $30,000 to do the appropriate explant and surgery. So a lot of us go untreated and die from secondary illnesses because we don't have coverage. Well, I think you have to identify who the lobbyists for the insurance industries are in Washington. And then you have to interview all of them and find out who would be sympathetic to this issue. Because there are lots and lots of, you know, lobbyists, but they want all kinds of insurance for other things. You may not come in as the pretty girl. You're not the one that they want to take to dinner. You're the one that's saying, oh, God, this is going to get in the newspaper that these women want to have insurance coverage. And what are we going to do? How are we going to handle the ripple effect of this? That's going to be awful. By the way, public relations is your best friend. You have the Internet. I mean, you know, if somebody could sit down and write a treatise or an a discussion or an argument about the importance of insurance. For example, I always felt that if you paid a manufacturer an extra $50 for every implant sold, that they would be able to set up their insurance company and pay for everything you needed after that. Aha! Uh-huh. But they knew that they were going to have to put in a lot more because they knew that they had a product that was awful. And as we go forward, what I've learned that Christine and I can do as part of SickTitties.com, which is the funny website I created to describe this horrible illness. And what happened to me is people kept asking what was wrong. I would state to them, well, I have sick titties because it was awkward. We just went through the Me Too movement and here we all are talking about our boobs and that's an uncomfortable issue. And so through the great advice of some friends and with Christine's support and the rest of the team, our mission is to create a site that can, you know, do what Command Trust tried and was so successful with in using technology to educate people, to get you and all the information you publish on there. But most importantly, I think my marching orders for the next couple of days are to find myself somebody who gives a shit about women's issue that wants to lobby for insurance coverage because ultimately... If we make this a business-to-business issue and attack it from both ends, I think if we educate women that they have safer alternatives, I think if we continue to build this community of sheroes. And for you, to meet you today, Sybil, was not only an honor, but I have to say it was life-changing. You're like a godshot of hope. And as I go forward in treatment, I decided to do what you did. And with your bravery and being willing to share what you looked like and what you went through, What Close to the Chest is all about is I want to demystify what's really happening. I want to give women access to lawyers, to doctors, to survivors, to advocates, and to empower us. Because like you, I am not willing to sit around and let my daughter and my granddaughters and other people struggle. I think if knowledge is power and information creates action, you've laid a foundation that gives this community strength. You've given us courage. And you've shown people that you don't just survive. 
but you really strive to change and be the solution to the problem you need. And without you, Sybil, women like me would not have a voice. We wouldn't have an option and we wouldn't have hope. Uh, Well, thank you for all those nice words, but I will tell you that the work that I do and the work that you do, it gives me more strength and power to just keep doing more. And if I have to do this till the day I die, I will be doing it till the day I die, much to the chagrin of my family. <laughs> when are you going to retire? Well, no, I'm afraid as long as there are bad actors out there, it's not a real, it's not even thinkable. So let me help you in whatever way I can. I wish all of our women so much. They need good luck. And they need to have the information upon which to base a sensible decision for themselves. Because in the end, it's every single individual woman's journey. And where the manufacturers and the insurance companies get into trouble is when all of these individuals come together with a purpose. So what I suggest is you make a mission statement. What is it you want? What is it you think you can accomplish? Put all that together and there's your credo. And this is what the manufacturers and the insurance companies are going to have to deal with. And you know what? They're not going to like it and you're going to love it. That was a life-changing conversation, Chris. I am so in awe of how strong, unafraid, and determined these women are. I feel honored to call them my friends and fellow change agents. I think the clear call to action and organization is why we are winning this battle. Absolutely. I would not want to be up against y'all. The facts and intent are clear, but that's just my opinion. I mean, I'm not the attorney in this case or (laughs) any other really because, you know, I no longer practice. But it does inspire me. You know how I get riled up over injustice. Let's just talk about the three initiatives and how your pain becomes an actionable purpose. Well, let's start with full disclosure. Last week, you mentioned the black box warning. This is key. I know if they had told me the full risks and I had the option to provide informed consent, there would be no toxic sex in me. Yeah, that would be a great start, huh? But I wish it required them also to do something like a public service announcement so that you could reach women en masse instead of just one-on-one. I mean, it assumes that the doctors are going to do this, um, and it'll take time. And really, how can we enforce these disclosure statements? I think the next call to action is key. The Medical Device Safety Act needs to be brought before Congress and passed. I know, right? We get notified when our brakes are recalled, but why not our boobs? This has to change. I also think the class action suit should expand beyond BIALCL to include those suffering from BII. This is a horrible autoimmune disease that is wrecking our bodies. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've seen it firsthand on you. I mean, we've talked to so many women. BII needs to be recognized as a disease, not just some afterthought. And manufacturers being held accountable for their part in perpetuating the misinformation that breast implants are always safe. Chris, I know. I want the world to know that BII is awful. It is not something we choose, and women have been harmed. We will not stop until there is help and accountability. Well, I'm not going anywhere until we see that happen. I am confident that things are about to change because, as you know, together, we are not alone. 
Close to the Chest with Kristen and Christine has been brought to you by B Noble Media Group and iHeartRadio. A very special thanks to our guests, Maria Gamitro and Sybil Knighton-Goldrich. To find out more about Maria's organization on device safety, please visit www.breastimplantsafetyalliance.org. That's www.breastimplantsafetyalliance.org. Now I'd like to share some gratitude. A very special thanks to iHeartRadio, Jawara Parker, and her iHeartRadio marketing team. And a big, big thanks to our executive producer, Ramsey Yant. If you or someone you know would like to know more about breast implant illness, please visit sicktitties.com. That's S-I-C-K-T-I-T-T-I-E-S.com. Also, please follow us on Instagram at sick.titties and at bnobleart, that's B-N-O-B-L-E-A-R-T. And we would also love to have you join our Facebook page at bnoble on B-I-I. And please remember, you're not alone. Together, we can beat this. The views and opinions expressed are solely those of the podcast author or individuals participating in the podcast and do not represent the opinions of iHeartMedia or its employees. This podcast should not be used as medical advice, mental health advice, mental health counseling or therapy, or as imparting any healthcare recommendations at all. Individuals are advised to seek independent medical counseling advice and or therapy from a competent healthcare professional with respect to any medical condition, mental health issues, health inquiry, or matter, including matters discussed on this podcast. Close to the Chest with Kristen and Christine is a production of iHeartRadio and produced in our studios located in Atlanta, Georgia. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. You deserve to treat yourself, so turn your tax refund into a U-fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and get a new Samsung Galaxy A14 on them. You can get a great everyday value on wireless with Straight Talk's unlimited plan starting at $25 a line per month for four lines. You'll save so much, you'll be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through 4-14-24 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk extended silver unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the silver unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.